0: Welcome back to the Inside Out podcast. Today is episode nine and today's episode is a really special one because it's a story of truth, a story of hope, a story of resilience told by a guy who is absolutely incredible. When I started out the Inside Out podcast, my main focus was to share stories, like real stories from real people about the real stuff that matters. And today is exactly that. It is a real story about the real stuff that matters from the most incredible human I have the privilege of calling my friend. Gary is a friend. Gary Cunningham is a friend. He is an author, a musician, one incredible motivational speaker, and Gary is also an ex-convict. Today's story from Gary is one of the most incredibly inspiring stories that I have heard. And I've had the absolute privilege of hearing Gary speak on numerous occasions. I'm immensely proud of this guy because his story is a story of, in his own words, owning your own shit, being responsible for yourself and your actions. And his story is one that reminds us that no matter what, no matter what happens in life, no matter... You know how we feel, we have the power within ourselves to turn our lives around. And I cannot wait for you to hear this. I just want to thank Gary personally for, for being on this podcast, for sharing his story, for being so honest, so vulnerable and so open. And I have firsthand seen Gary and seen the work and the impact that he does, not only on everybody who listens, but in particular on students. And The work he is doing is immensely important and I cannot thank him enough for that. So Gary, thank you so much for being on this podcast. Thank you for being the incredible human that you are. Thank you for for sharing your story and thank you for continually inspiring everybody who listens to you to be an absolute kick-ass person. Thank you so, so much for coming on the Inside Out podcast. Um, As always, this podcast is very much centered about real stories from real people about the real shit that matters. And I say real shit today because we're going to get down and dirty into your lovely story, your amazing story. And it's very much, I've heard you speak loads of times and your story is a real story about a real person. And the way you tell it, it just... It captivates everybody, I've, I've had the privilege to hear you speak so many times, so for me, to have you on this podcast to tell your story, to tell your truth and to inspire loads of people, is a very humbling honour for me, so thank you
1: You needn't start making me cry this fucking <laughs> early in the in, in, in thing <laughs> I've literally just put on some guyliner, so ourselves it starts running I want to feel happy um, um, Thank you so much you're so well. I come from you, Kira. I mean, I, 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 I kind of said this in my mind before we started today that uh, I'd be saying to the wonderful people that are good enough to listen to this podcast, make sure you're following Kira on all of our social media. And then I thought to myself, if you listen to this podcast, you're probably fucking following her anyway, so I digress, (laughs) but uh, you you truly, truly, you truly inspire me, and I'm not gonna go into it today, but we both know the last time we met um, what happened, and it was a wonderful day that was marred by something that you showed so much character and strength and you taught me a lot that day when I was on a bit of a rampage, wanting to wanting blood for something that happened to you. You yep. taught me how to be calm and how to um, approach things in a different manner. So you're telling me that it's an honour to have me on. Fuck that! It's an honour for me to be sitting here speaking on your podcast. So thank you very much. I'm very humbled. Um And
0: thanks for that day because yeah, it was a bit of a I'm going to say a head fuck. It was mad.
1: Um, it was disgusting.
0: So, yes, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Um, so look, we, we won't get into it. We'll um, talk about you today because it's about you. Um, oh, okay,
1: then. Okay.
0: <laughs> I have the privilege of seeing you right now as we record this. So, <laughs> um, so <laughs> uh, for people who don't know, Gary, tell us about you. Tell us about your story.
1: Okay. Um, well, my name is Gary Cunningham. I'm originally from Finglas, Dublin, um, and I suppose look, I've got a story. I've got a, I've, I've. I've got a story but have a different way of approaching it. So, look, I, I went through life um, quite lucky. I had a, a very hard working father who had his own company and I was the youngest, so I was spoiled rotten. Um, but I was spoiled with materialistic things. Um, I, I'm very lucky that my, my best friend in the world today is my mom and any goodness that's in me today, she instilled in me. Um, I didn't have the greatest relationships with my dad, but I need to take my responsibility for that as well. Um, but I kind of I, I, kind of just, as I got into my teens and as I got, um, as I kind of started to stand on my own two feet, I was a gobshite, and I have to admit that um, something that I, I, I do a lot of skill talks. I only do skill talks, it's my life today, but I tr- it's based around three things and that's self-love, self-care, and personal responsibility. And personal responsibility is a big one for me. If you can't own your shit, uh, I won't be too happy with you. So, um, when I was 16 years of age, I, uh, by the way, just to kind of say for anyone that's listening, uh, I hope it doesn't make people feel uncomfortable. I cry all the time. Uh, I actually cried this morning listening, reading some of the comments from a Facebook post I did. And I encourage you, I have a saying where I say, never fear a tear. Um, so if I cry and, and you're listening to this, don't, don't feel uncomfortable. Don't feel sorry for me. It's, I, I'm, I've no fucking problem with it. So don't worry about it. Uh, at 16, I met a, a wonderful girl. Um, we fell in love, or puppy love, or young love, or whatever it was. But we were foolish, and, and uh, next thing we knew, this beautiful lady was pregnant. And after nine months into the world came the most perfect, most, most beautiful child I've ever seen. And of course, I'd say that she was my daughter, but um, sadly, she didn't. she didn't stay with us for too long. Um, she passed away. Sorry, and uh, Sorry, <clears throat> I'm not sorry actually, um, I was already a dickhead before she passed away, but when she died, I became a fucking nightmare. Um, I never asked for help, not once, I have really strong brothers in my life, they're incredible men, and they would have done anything for me, And no, of course, I, I knew everything, the whole world owed me something, you know, I had the biggest chip on my shoulder. Uh, I also, was just, I don't really want to get into this, didn't have an, an amazing relationship with somebody else in my life. And unfortunately, this person would, would put me down a lot. And I'm trying to encourage p- in people today. The biggest flaw, the biggest mistake I made back then was I actually fucking believed this person. I believed when they told me I was useless and stupid and tick and all these kind of things. And that's just somebody's opinion of me. I shouldn't have listened to that. I should have listened to me, but I didn't. And instead of asking for help, and instead of standing up for myself maybe, I just turned to drink very quickly, and very quickly became a raging alcoholic. Uh, I was the master of hiding it. I would lie and tell the most disgusting lies you've ever heard. I've lied about things that I can never hold my head up high for again, because as an alcoholic, you you don't admit what's fucking wrong with you. Uh, I've lost people from my life that today I'm talking about the closest family members you can possibly imagine who can't stand the ground I walk on because they can't forget the old Gary. And that old Gary was a really, really nasty person. So to kind of culminate that into something that kind of is is maybe to bring it to a a crescendo, if you like. um, At the age of 33, so my daughter dies at 17. And at the age of 33, listen to that number folks, not, not like two years later, fucking years later, and I'm standing in the criminal courts of justice, the court number five in front of the judge in and I've just been caught with over 70,000 worth of cannabis. And I got sentenced to three and a half years in prison. Um, to kind of give you an idea of what happened at that stage, I, my dad had passed away, uh, he passed away very suddenly. Uh, he, was, he, was the, our boss. he was our boss. He, he owned his own company, and me and my brothers worked for him. So the company folded. We were in debt. The recession had just hit. And this all sounds like excuses, by the way. And at the fucking time it was, Kieran. That's my problem, you see. That's why I tell this story in a very different way. And I don't need people to tell me to stop being hard on myself. I'm not hard on myself. I adore the ground I walk on today. I'm very proud of me today. But in order for me to tell you the story, you've got to hear the truth. And you're not going to hear the violin version because that's not fucking needed. Nobody caused what happened to me, I did. Me and it's my fault. So when I stood, I I, 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 my dad had passed away. I was a raging alcoholic, full of anger, full of hatred, treating people like absolute dirt. Uh, and I went to a pub one day, I sat there, and a guy approached me and he said, uh, can I buy you a drink? Said, Fucking right, you can And I, I'd I no money, I, I'd fuck all money. Um, and I kind of knew what this guy was up to. He's a nice guy. His own business is his own business. But of course, when he said to me, do you want to, do you want to earn a few quid? You know, I, I say this in skills all the time. I didn't even think. I didn't even stop and think about it. I was blessed to have the opportunity to be a father again. And I fucked it up completely. Completely. I absolutely messed it up. And it's still messed to this day. So when I'm sat there, I'm not thinking of him. I'm not thinking of me, man. I'm thinking of the selfish bastard that I am, going, yeah, I'll get loads of Guinness out of that money. Great. Luckily I wasn't a drug addict, I was an alcoholic. Um, so I toddled off, went to the forecourt of a pass garage at half seven, one Friday morning, collected over 70,000 worth of cannabis in a Louis Vuitton bag, very upmarket, and uh, walked about 100 yards, and I felt the barrel of a gun at the side of my head. Um, which I can tell you, I, I urinated myself immediately because I challenge anyone to have a gun put at a fucking head and keep that calm. I didn't hear, which, which was called out. I've no, I've no problem with the guards in this country. In fact, a, a, a guard had just lost his life in the line of duty yesterday or the day before, which is so tragic and sad, it's unbelievable. Um, they did shout arm guard, they have to. They have to be forceful because they have no idea if I have a gun, if anyone else has a gun, they didn't rough me up, they weren't anything like that, they just got me onto the ground. And to be quite honest with you, when I realised it was the police, I was fucking delighted because I thought, like literally I've heard all this, your life flashes before your eyes. It did. I thought I was getting whacked, as they say. I thought I was becoming another statistic in, 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 a, in a drug culture that has ripped apart so many families and so many lives in this, in this country, and, and especially where I'm from in Dublin. Yeah. So you spend about a year before you get sentenced to prison and in that year I, I had to go to my ex partner and tell her I was going to prison so I lost my son. Uh, I lost all respect to my family um, who were supportive. But the one I couldn't tell was my mom. I just couldn't tell her. I told her about two weeks before. I kept it quiet for about a year and then I told her two weeks before and it absolutely destroyed her. It just destroyed her and it made me realise how much she actually did care about me. When I was walking around thinking nobody fucking gave a shit about me. Uh, I stood in the criminal courts of justice in front of Judge Nolan. And when he passed down the sentence, he looked at me. You're not allowed to address the judge. You're not allowed to talk to him. You're just sat behind this perspex screen. I was 18 and a half stone. I was in a bad way. I had drank the night. I was drunk. Let's be honest with you. I drank the whole night before. I went into the fucking court drunk. That's the type of prick I was.
0: Mm.
1: And I'm standing there kind of rattling with the shakes. And he addressed me. He just looked at me. And he said, Mr. Cunningham, I can see you're a good man. I can see you're trying. I see you have got good qualities. And he dangled a couple of letters in front of him. And one was it, I had gone back to school at college as a mature student. And I was doing a Bachelor of Arts in Creative Digital Media. And the college, I'd done a lot. i one fresh of the year, my first year, things like that. And the college wrote this kind of reference, if you like. And it was so moving and so beautiful. I couldn't believe it. And then my sister in law, one of my sister in laws, Niv, she wrote on my behalf. And he dangled that and he said, you're very lucky I read this today, because your sentence would have been a hell of a lot more. One thing I cannot forgive you for Mr. Cunningham, he said, is your age. I was 43 years of age when I stood in front of him. I should have fucking known better. Simple, that's a fact. That man is probably looking at 17, 16, 17, 18 year old lads that are impressionable. They're trying to be hard men, trying to fit in with a clique. And he'll, he'll punish them. So when he looked at me, he said, you're very lucky I have these letters because I'm keeping a sentence of three and a half years. And he banged it down and he says, there's time to go off and think about what you did. And I fucking shocked, I was rattled. But at the same time, I remember nodding, looking at my nodding and going, yeah, that sounds about right. And um, I got taken away. The only thing I could hear, the only thing that I could hear was my mom crying. Like the courthouse is packed, the courts are open to the public, it's real. You feel every fucking eye bored into your soul. But I deserved that. I deserved to put on display as the piece of shit I was at that time because that was my lowest moment. Well, no, it wasn't actually. The lowest moment was yet to come. Um, I wish I could tell you now, Kira, or anyone that's listening, but I walked into Mount Joy and had an instant, instant karma attack that it just straight away I went, Yes, Gary, you're a fucking idiot. Let's, let's rock this shit. No. I walked around Mount Joy with this bravado bullshit going on, thinking like I fucking own the place. You know, the, the, the Walk Made Famous by Conor McGregor. I was kind of strutting around with that, you know? And just being an arsehole. Thinking, being macho and tough is the way to fit in in this life, and it's fucking not. Mm. You know, the new sexy, any men that are listening out there, the new sexy is the man who cries, the man who lets his emotions out. Don't be fucking afraid of that shit. But I was, and I was a dickhead. Amazingly, kind of to jump out of this for a second, I've wrote three books, I've actually just about to, I'm just about to put the last full stop on my fourth book. So this is four books in four years, which I'm super excited about. But uh, my fourth book is called Joy's of Joy, Finding Myself in an Irish Prison. Um, amazingly, this book has been turned into a film as we speak.
0: Amazing.
1: Yeah, it blows my right. mind. Um, so I have to laugh over the script and I've, I'm, 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 I'm a consultant with the kind of team that are working on it. It's fucking crazy. Yeah,
0: insane. Awesome.
1: Yeah, th- that book, um, I, I kind of tried to show people that anyone is capable of change and, and to be able to remain that way. But there's a character in that book and this, this bugs me. And I know you guys can see what's happening here, but Keirley can tell you that I'm moving the phone closer to the face. Cause I'm fucking bugged over this. My best friend in the entire world is a man known as, I'm doing air quotes here, Fitzer. His real name doesn't matter. And he is hands down the biggest character in the book. I wrote the fucking thing and no one gives a shit about Gary. It's all about fucking Fitzer. Yeah. But this man came in, and completely and utterly saved my life. He saved my life physically, I don't really want to go into that now. Um, Well, I can't, I I tried to take my own life in prison and uh, he was there. But he saved my life by being the strongest, most straight man I've ever met in my life. He held up a mirror to me. He he said to me one day, God, you're an awful dickhead, aren't you? No one spoke to me like that before. He said it very calm, he said it very easy. He didn't attack me, he wasn't being trained, he didn't have me up with a scruff. He was very kind of blasé about it because you're an awful dickhead, you know, like just you're just an arsehole, you carry yourself around like an arsehole. And I, was really, I really admired this man, he's a beautiful singer. He's actually the best singer I ever fucking heard, I'll, I'll get to the band in a minute. But, I kind of always wanted to impress him, it's a really weird thing. So when he said this, it was kind of like it." and anyone that's listening, when your mom or dad said to you, no, I'm not annoyed with you, I'm just disappointed. And you're like, oh, for fuck's sake. like the worst thing ever. Be
0: annoyed with me, you know? <laughs> yeah.
1: so, He really held the mirror up to me. And I don't really care if people believe this bit or not, but that was the instant, that was the moment. I I, I couldn't believe all the stuff I had done. You must remember I'm sober now at this age. I, I, I had all the things that I had done, all the lies I had told, all the people I had hurt and let down, it came flooding in. It came in like a fucking wave, like a tsunami. And he was there to help me through that. But unfortunately, at night time, you're, you're on your own. And I, I did. I got weak. And I gave up. I've actually wrote a letter to that, Gary, as a form of healing. And I gave out fuck to that, Gary. I said, imagine if you had a one. You wouldn't be here today. Um, but what I, what I knew I needed work on was loving myself. Because I hated, even though Fitzer had done that, I, I couldn't stand my own reflection. I had been conditioned to think that way, you must remember. But then I had done what I had done myself. So I get moved into a single cell. It was the very first cell, cells, landing in Mount Joy that had a toilet in, which was uh, quite an experience. When we all got moved in, we walked in the kitchen. So all the kitchen lads got one of these cells. And for the first five minutes, all you could hear was toilet flushing. And, and then the, the of of <laughs> It was just like the greatest, it was like funland. That's the best way I could describe it. Um, so in this room, you had a bed. You had a toilet that had a little kind of area to cover your modesty because the officers still have to be able to see. him. you had a wooden table and a chair that was become my my nirvana, my mecca. And then you had a sink, and then you had this little tiny porthole mirror, just a really small circular mirror. And the officer would come and he would bang you out is what they call it. And uh, you know they come to the door. And again, as I just like to say, prison officers in this country get a hard time. And, I just think it's uncalled for. They're only doing a job. There are some absolute arseholes, prison officers, but then there's some absolute arsehole prisoners as well. Mm. It's like everything in life. But uh, the majority of them will come to your door when they're banging you out and say, you done, Cunningham? Yeah, thanks very much, officer. See you in the morning, bang your door up. And then you're on your own for 12, 13, 14 hours, whatever it is. Uh, I became addicted to Fair City and fucking Emmerdale. I, like I still watch Emmerdale, which is so sad. So sad. But anyway, um, I'd go over and I'd, I'd wash my face, and wash my hands, and I'd look up and I'd look into this mirror and I absolutely hated what was looking back. And I'd put the head down and get really annoyed. I remember sharing this with Pizza one day and he goes, well, fucking cop on. So I said in that, staring in that mirror and, and, and don't stop until you like what you see. So I said, right, okay, I'll give that a go. Um, Tear warning, because this is, every time I say this, that was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Was to look at myself and say, You're alright. You're not you're not a bad person, you've done bad. But you can make this right. You can change this around guy. So, like the first few days, I'd probably get 10 seconds of thinking that and then I'd put my head down. And then I got better, and I made that 10 seconds would become 30, become a minute. So you know, I was just fucking wearing the face off myself and taking it was God's gift. But <laughs> 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 um and another thing that really helped that process was I, I found a connect with a page and a pen. I, 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 I kind of say this all the time, we said it in my talks in prison, I say it with students, is, there's a beautiful connect between your arm, the pen and the page. The one thing about this, this A4 page, this page with just lines on it is, it'll never ever interrupt you. It never wants to judge you. It doesn't care what you want to say, it just wants to listen to you. So I dig deep and I would find something that I liked about myself, like I played the guitar, so I was like, when you play the guitar, it's a good thing. I'd write it down so I could read it again. Uh, and I'm doing all this in the most negative fucking embodiment on the earth. I'm doing all this with this pseudo bullshit of trying to be a hard man. And, and I just debunked it. I just got rid of it. I was like, I'm not fucking doing this shit anymore. I'm just going to be me. And I'm going to be this, this nice guy and give that a go for a fucking change. And yeah, it works. Um, I fully immersed myself into prison, which I know sounds weird, but I did what you call LinkedIn. I, I was everywhere. I, I started the very first Prisoners Committee, which is the template of which is in every prison in Ireland now. I began my first book. I wrote a musical called Man, which i just finished recording the album for, and we're actually putting on stage over here. So, I dipped into this well of creativity, and I did it because I started to like myself.
0: Yeah.
1: I started to realise that I'm not a fucking, well, I, I, I was this ogre, I was this shithead, but that I have an opportunity. Prison reset me to zero. It gave me a second chance. It saved my life. I don't know, was that was the very first thing that was ever wrote about me on joe.ie. The headline, no wonder I can't get a fucking job these days clearly. The headline is my big ugly mush and prison saved my life. So <laughs> I'm not hiding that shit you know.
0: Sound Joe <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> well I, I, I bought into it. I got through prison. I had Fitzer with me the whole time. We started a band called The Offenders, <laughs> which I know is the fucking worst name you've ever heard for a prison band. But I tell you what, uh, only the name is what's a joke about it. We wrote ourselves into the history books of the Irish Prison Service as being the first band to ever be uh, created in one prison and then be shifting into other prisons to play gigs. Right. So we literally did tours like it was It was incredible. Like we'd be sitting in the back of one prison bus, handcuffed, and then another prison bus in front of us would have our guitars and our drums and our amps and stuff like this. We wrote our own songs and I, they, I don't give a shit. I, I don't, I'm not good at selling myself, but if you're ever on YouTube, and you type in Garry Honey on the Offenders. It's my YouTube page. Have a look at Orange Guy, the Pell Nutini song. We recorded it in prison, but that's Fitz singing and his voice is phenomenal. Um, I got released and I came out with this vigor. I came out with this, this lust for life. And unfortunately, after hours of coming out, I drank again. Couldn't believe it. And for the first maybe month or two months of my release, I was very quickly going back to the fucking arsehole I was before I walked in there. But this time I had a different set of skills. This time I wasn't afraid to ask for help. This time I I reached out into a counselor. I got stuff off my chest and I began to grow again. Uh, I knuckled down and I I ploughed through that first book. And what happened next, Keir, is I still, I'm on a podcast with you, for fuck's sake. I mean, I'm still pinching myself over this stuff. I finished it, I started putting it out to uh, publishers. And what's incredible about it is, uh, I got a reply from every publisher that I sent the book to, which was amazing. But the amount, I talk about this in the second book, the amount of people that that are publishing house that tell me that my book was too positive really fucked me off. Cause I was like, how can anything be too positive? Except (laughs) for the, except for this hottest, I'm so positive all the time, I'm so positive all the time, you know, <laughs> you know, but how can anything be too positive? I kept at it, I kept at it, and then a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful man by the name of David Givens, a big, big, beautiful Californian man, uh, and the Liffey Press took a chance on me, and I signed a contract, and we brought out Joys of Joy. Joys of Joy was released on a tour, today, I'll never forget this, and uh, it was a beautiful moment, and in that, on that day, at the time, the head of the Irish prison, prison Service, Michael Dolan, he was there. The, gov- the, the governor, at the time of Mount Joy, not when I was there, but at the time of the launch, I met, I knew him on a personal level in the prison before he became the governor. He got up and launched the book for me. He stood in the room with my peers, my family, and spoke about me as a prisoner and how I changed things in there. Sorry. Um, there was three governors, a load of prison officers, and they're on the right side of the room as I stood on this podium and gave my a speech. And on the left side of the room was a load of fucking ex prisoners. And it was just weird. But they all kind of blended together like this beautiful smoothie. And it was a a wonderful evening. The next night, I'm on the Late Light Show. And people ask me, was I nervous? Absolutely not. Because I believed in myself. I didn't give a fuck. I was going out there to tell my story. And I'm certainly not going to feel sorry for myself or have anyone feel sorry for me. I wanted people to see that you've got to own your shit. If you want to succeed in life, if you want to move forward, you've got to own the shit that you do, be it good or bad, but just own it. Yeah. You know, Roy and Tuberty open opening line was, so Gary, you were in Mountjoy, and I said, yeah, I was in Mountjoy Joy for being a self-centered, selfish bastard. And that was the first thing I said on the Late Night Show, and <laughs> Ronan, the, uh, the producer, he's not the producer anymore, he's a wonderful man. I got an email the next morning, and he said, Gary, you, you, you smashed the viewing figures last night, it was the most viewed thing on Irish telly. There was 550,000 people watching your story. He you said, well, when you started, there was probably fucking 10 people watching until you came out with that line. <laughs> and he said, it just sort of went up and up and up after that. <laughs> oh, yeah, I got immediately approached by the Irish Prison Service. They asked me would I go back into a prison and give a talk. I'd have psychologists from prisons ringing me up and saying, can you come in and do a talk? And I was like, I've never done this shit before here. So I was like, yeah, I'll go in and talk. I just had a different way of kind of looking at, at prison life. So I'd go in and I'd say to the lad, I'd get the piss taken of me when I'd walk in. But I was well able for that, because I, I, I understood. Like when I wrote my first book, my first wish, I wanted to show people, anyone can change, but my real wish was to kind of, to maybe change one person's perspective on an Irish prisoner. Not every single man and woman that's locked up in this country should be deemed an out and out scumbag. And I have to learn that the hard way, because I remember going into the prison, sitting in the, in, in, in the, in the prison bus, heading from the Criminal courts of Justice to Mountjoy. enjoy. And the audacity in me to say what I'm about to say, but this is the truth. I remember thinking to myself, I can't believe I'm going in there to all them scumbags. What a fucking asshole! And I was in there, and I don't really care how people judge me for the next comment that I make. I made this comment on the Late Late Show. I met the most beautiful men I've ever met in my life. Do you know there's nobody in my life today that was in my life before prison? They're all gone. Every one of them. The only people in my life now today are fucking prisoners. <laughs> it's mad. But... I I went and I'd give these talks and I'd say to the lads in prison in a jokey way, I say, "Listen, lads, if you're sitting in here and you're saying telling anyone that you're innocent, you're not. (laughs) Like there's no innocent people locked up in Ireland. This is in America. This is Ireland. If you're fucking in prison over here, you did something." So I said, "Just own it, own that shit," and then I talk about ways of spending your time writing and and just being creative. And they were pretty successful. They were all of a sudden I spoke in every jail except Cork. Um, probably because I'm a dub, they don't want me down there. <laughs> well, I, I spoke in the jazz, and it was great. But then what happened was I was in Port Leash giving a talk. And actually the guy who was writing the script for the film, he was there. He was at the back of the room. And I gave the talk and the governor, she's a beautiful, beautiful human being. Her name is uh, Governor Gavin. She approached me at the end. and She was crying and she said, that, like, that was powerful. Mm-hmm. And I remember saying to her, yeah, well, I, I, I'm too late, miss. I'm too late she said they're not already in fucking prison, I'd love to go into a school. I said I'd love to go into a school and lie, like tell a little white lies and just really make out how bad prison is and talk about the effects of drugs and hopefully to make myself feel better, I'm not ashamed to admit that, do a bit of good in the world. Yeah. I fully believe in the universe, I fully believe in the law of attraction so I started putting it out there and within a couple of weeks I my very first talking in front of students was in front of nine hundred students in the stall, and when I spoke at the young adult book fest that's run by Writers Week, and like I'm there, I'm a massive GAA fan. Like Karen Donaghy is one of the speakers here today on this day. Uh, we had some banter actually, <laughs> but there's these absolute ninjas, these people of your caliber here that are going up and giving these talks, and then there's this book and agent went to the prison. They put me on force, said, yeah, get him out of the way, and I blew them away. Hmm. I cried in front of nine hundred students. I told them the truth. I use bad language. I use bad language all the time. If people have a problem with the language I use. I don't fucking care because if your only issue with me is that I say the word fuck, go ask the students who I've helped. Go ask the students who I've talked down from suicide. Do they give a fuck when I say the word fuck? Because they don't.
0: I think you're dead, right? Because I know where I've seen you speak, and I've seen the the, the passion you have when you speak. I've seen I watched the crowd's reaction and when we've kind of spoken on the same stage together, like at different events, it's been to kids, it's been to kids in school and I can see their reaction. And, you know, they don't give a fuck.
1: No, but, and it's the what collective. They,
0: what, what, what they're taking from you is that story. And like, if they go home and go, you know, this guy, Gary was on stage and like, he was the only person to say fuck, but I'm like, like I'm amazed by his story. I mean, like, that's it. And I've seen that happen. I've seen students just go, oh man, this guy is like, yeah, I can totally relate to him because he's real. And like, that's why you're on this podcast because it's a real story. It's real people and it's people who will be themselves. So if you tell your story with the odd fuck and the odd shit and the odd whatever, then so fucking be it. Like, I don't, like, I just, it's so You
1: guys that are listening to this podcast, right? I know you follow Kira, she's gorgeous, this woman, she's stunning. I mean, when I heard she was married, there was more between the two the top. But um, she's very animated as well, and I've just literally inhaled her words while watching her move and drink her water at the same time. Can't I can't just say her mates cut her hair, and if her mates are listening, you did a banging job, man! It's excellent. Thanks, um, Ben. Yeah, I, 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 I gave this talk that day, Kerry, and I, I did what I did. And my mom was there. My mom is my best friend. I, I worship the ground she walks on, and. I got a second chance of her as well, and I'm taking that with by the scruff at the moment. Um, but she was sat in the front row and I come off the stage and I was fucking shaking, man. And the, the kids are on their feet, everyone's on their feet. And the always out of course I started crying. So I looked at my mask, I looked has go fucking smoke. So I ran outside. And I'm kind of just catching me thoughts and me breath, and I turned around and there was a cue. Um just really upsets me. Um, there was a queue of students who I don't know. I've never talked to that many people in one time in my life. And I just looked at this little, I shouldn't say little girl, this young, young girl. She looks really nervous. And I said, Do you, are you okay? And she said, can I talk to you? She said, of course you can fucking talk to me. She walked up and I'm not going to say what she said, but when I say it was, if you can think one of the most disgusting things that can happen to a young person, that happened happen to this girl. And I remember I threw my hands up in the air and I said, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying, I I don't know what to say, no, 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 no. It's all dealt with. Mm -hmm. I just really felt like I could tell you. And I was like, okay. And she goes, you get us, you get it. And I go, okay. And then behind her was a young flip. And I said, do you want to talk to me? he said, yeah. And he walked straight up to me and said, I'm I'm being bullied at the moment. I was like, fucking hell, okay. Well, maybe do this and think about that. Every fucking student came up to me and told me something when all of them started with, thank you, that was amazing, you're so funny, you're this, you that. But every one of them then said, I'm struggling.
0: Mm.
1: Like, I'm really, really sad. So I was like, okay. I took 900 selfies that day. The people, the Reuters Week walked up to my mum. They said, we've never seen this reaction. We've been doing this 10 years. We've never seen a reaction. The kids followed me back to the store, arms and but went to the bookshop and bought books and copies of Joy's a Joy so we could sign it. I was fucking floored yeah. But I kept looking at me man. and I kept saying, this is really sad, man. This is really fucking sad. After that talk, words travelled. I went back to Kerry. I went to the different skills in Kerry. I was still doing the old talk. I was still going in and telling a few white lawyers. Not white lawyers, I was exaggerating prison life. Yeah. Uh, to try and put them off. And, the, and I had the same routine and I'd explain it would slip out, or maybe not slip out, and fucking me, this is me. Anyway, yeah. um, and yet again, there would be an orderly queue. I would surround myself with tea just to protect me. And the kids would come up and fucking tell me something. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? I remember got on the phone to Fitzer on a train coming back from Galway or somewhere, and I was like, Mick, I said, it's, it's mad. Every one of them. And he's, he has this way of saying the most simple things that really hit you in between the eyes. And he was like, Gar, he says, Gar, <clears throat> excuse me. Kids today are really sad, Gary. They're really sad. And it was just a, just a broad, simple statement that really fucking struck a chord. In me. So I went off. I said thinking, I started thinking, This talking about prison all they don't give a shit about that. I'll tell them my story because it's interesting, but they don't give a shit about that. So I started thinking what I wanted them to feel, what I never felt. Mm-hmm. I never felt good enough, Period. never. And I was conditioned, and i would admit that, but that's still my fucking onus. It's on me to feel good enough about me. Mm-hmm. Not on someone else to make me feel good enough. It has to start with me.
0: Yeah.
1: So I come up with the tree. I didn't fucking invent them. I come up with the "I am enough" theory or thought process. So I got back into skills, and at this stage I'd be from Donegal to Cork to Galway to Dublin. Like I was, I've been all over the country, and I was volunteering all this. I was completely doing this on my free time, um, and. I started incorporating, I tell the story, we, we talk, I broke up into kind of two segments. So I tell the, we hear when I tell the story of you being arrested and I talk about the trauma of prison and what it does to your family and what it does to trying to get a job. I cannot get a job, man, it's, I've got a record. It's really tough. Uh, and that's my fucking fault, by the way, nobody else's. Um, and then I'd kind of break off. Now listen, fuck all that, I wanna talk about you now. And I'd really go heavy with them. i like I go straight in there. Like you're lethal. If it was a girl there, I like, like I'd look at her and say, Do you realise how beautiful they are? But then I'd say the same thing to a boy. So you realise how beautiful you fucking are. It wasn't about you know, it's not about fucking some idiots out there that bring sex into everything. I don't give a fuck about that. I want someone to feel good. Mm. And I, I'm quite good at making people feel good. So anyway, we'd rock this poem enough buzz and it was great crack, great crack go. And at the end of every talk I give, I demand to get all to get up on their tables, on their desks, on their chairs, and I get every fucking one of them to roar I'm about a hundred times. Teachers, principals, everybody. And it's a, it's a cathartic moment. It's beautiful. Um, and after every single solitary school, to this day, right up until this COVID, I spoke in a school the day before the schools locked down. And actually... Remind me because I want to tell you that story. I'm really proud of myself over that, and there's a little video down the reels so if anyone wants to see. You can see that a little bit of that talk. I'll tell you really quick. It was, it was the 11th of March, which is uh, which is my daughter's anniversary, okay. and I contemplated not doing the talk, and then I said no, she'd want me to do it. But I didn't factor in that it was in Saint Vincent's School, which is actually the school of my son, who he's left since, but he only doesn't talk to me, so that was tough. I was hearing from your heads what an incredible student he was, so I was hearing all this from complete strangers. And then I gave the talk, and that's my fault, by the way. It's not his fault, it's completely fucking my fault. Uh, and then I'm giving this talk, and there's a massive big window at the back of the room, and this particular school faces glass in cemetery. And behind this one particular lad who I knew was getting bullied and I was helping him, was a, I could just see this massive tree, and that tree is where my daughter was buried. I had no idea what I through that talk. But I literally, I've been talking to skills right up to the end of this, or at the beginning of this COVID. And they've been going okay. They were going, you know, I was helping and that was great. And then all of a sudden, everything changed. Everything changed. I was in the Holy Family School when I killed. Big shout out to them. They're a bunch of ninjas. I adored them. During the usual, they actually gave me a T-shirt to wear that day. They just said, be yourself. And I loved it. I still have it. Uh, it's, it looks like it was bought fucking Baby Gap, so it doesn't do it. But I, I rocked it. I have the unscarred tattooed across my stomach, so everyone saw the unscarred tattoo that day. I literally looked like I should have come straight out of like, uh, I don't know, a, a, a boy band back and dance or video or something like that. And I, I, I had them all in their chairs and we're all saying enough and everything was great. And then the, the queue started and I had the counsellor, at the, the student guidance teacher there. She's a beautiful woman beside me. Just, I said, you stay here, protect me. That was fine. And I got approached by Casey. Casey changed everything for me. Casey, at the time, was 13. And she approached me with two bodyguards, two of her best friends either side of her. Uh, I said it would have roughed me up uh, if I had a metabolics of this. And I'm definitely going to cry when I tell you this. And I'm pretty sure anyone listening will as well. Um, Casey, Casey said to me that day, yeah. Uh, she said, look, Gary, thanks so much for telling me I'm enough. I really needed to hear that today. And I'm getting really good at not anger people's grief that, to let someone cry and, and not throw our arms around them immediately. Let them, let them feel, let them understand what's happening. So I stood there and I said, go ahead of that, Casey. I, um, I said, you're more than enough. And our mate, one of the bodyguards, kept kind of hitting her in the ribs and saying, just tell him, just, just tell him. And I looked and I said, Casey, you can tell me anything. And she said, uh, Oh, we're, we're so sorry, it's just uh, my best friend took his own life two weeks ago. And I did this horrible thing, Carey. I still regret it today. I kind of ignored Casey for a minute and spoke about her like she wasn't there, but I was rooted really to the spot. I knew I didn't know her age. I knew she was fucking young though. Mm. And I looked at I won't give her name, I looked at the teacher who was sobbing, and I said, How old is she? How old is she? And the teacher was like, well, Casey's told to him, but the young boy who took his own life was 12. And I'm like, what the fuck is wrong in this country or in this world? Well, we have a 12-year-old boy who doesn't feel like he can live anymore. What's wrong? I, I couldn't believe it, I couldn't believe what I was hearing. I thought I was dreaming. I, I went off, I came home. I said to my partner at the time, I said, I have to do something. This isn't right, man. This isn't fucking night. He's 12. Like, he probably never even kissed a girl. Fucking got his hair broken or, you know, scored a fucking goal in the match or whatever fucking shite that we just take for granted so much. He was fucking 12, Kerry. And he's not here anymore. It turns out the child was being fucking a system, systematic attack online. He was getting lambasted by some sick fucking bastard and now he's not here anymore. So I toddled off. People seemed to like it when I read and I wrote what was my latest book which is I'm Enough Woods to Live Boy and it's just 10 short stories that are sadly all based on actual conversations I had with students. They deal with consent. Drugs, drinking, fitting in, not feeling good enough, family, the importance of talk. I have a chapter in there called Unsocial Media. And then there's chapter nine, one, which is called No One Cares. And it's the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Because uh, I had to make this story up, obviously. And I'm about to write a little short story on suicide. And I didn't know what to do. I was so scared. I thought about doing it retrospectively. I thought about telling my story. I thought about the, 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 the person narrating the story being an adult and thinking back to a time when they felt like shit. And maybe I said, no, these kids don't need to hear that shit. They need to hear something more real. So I invented a girl called Grandy who has decided to take her own wife. And um, she's not telling anybody, she's doing everybody else's thinking for them. Nobody cares, nobody understands. She goes as far as to write the letter. She leaves it under her pillow with the knowledge that she's going to do everybody a favour and end her home life the next day. And then, of course, in a very Hollywood moment, because it's my book, I can do what I fuck a fucking month, she gets up the next morning and there's screaming in the kitchen downstairs and she walks in to see her auntie with her head buried in her hands and granny's like, what's wrong? Granny's mother is crying, She said, oh, your auntie's best friend, Mary, whatever her name is, I can't remember. Her son took his own life last night. And then Groni gets to see the damage it causes. She gets to go to a funeral of somebody who was a popular lad. He was a Gaelic player. He gets to see the Gaelic team. Uh, She gets to see a Gaelic team. All the beautiful looking lads, all the real tough lads, reduced to nothing, angry and scared. And then it spores her on to go out and ask for help. And I remember putting the last full stop on that story. And Antoinette would kind of be like my editor, oh, I'd love her, she'd have to check for spellings, I can't even spell my own fucking name sometimes. That's a bit spell check, by the way. And uh, when I handed it to her, I completely and utterly collapsed. Mm. I cried for about a day. That's not a word of lie. Uh, but I'm really, really glad I did it because that book and what it's done, I never saw that coming. So, in a nutshell, one thing I'll show sure you've all noticed is Kayla hasn't opened her fucking gate. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody said to me, an absolute legend. This was for you, Jenny, Jen, gents. She said to me this morning, "I hope Carrie gets awarded." And I laughed and I said, oh she fucking will
0: you joking. I'm get in for it's fine.
1: <laughs>
0: um, <laughs> so I want to touch on on what you said, kind of at the start, because I have been listening. I might not have been talking, but I have been listening. Um, when you started writing in prison, you you mentioned when you when you were talking about that that you know. You were feeling your feelings and you were putting pen to paper. And one thing about putting pen to paper is it doesn't judge you, it listens wholeheartedly. You can literally pour out your feelings. And I think, I suppose, I actually wrote that down because I think as humans, as people, we need to start doing the exact same thing for other people. So, like, we need to start listening more. We need to start, I suppose, allowing people to feel their feelings and being there for them when they do.
1: And showing them it's okay.
0: Yeah, exactly, and I think you know if we can be the paper and the pen to people when you know they're like, wow. it's just I and I think so I don't have to talk a lot. <laughs> <It's>
1: fucking god, I'm out. half an have to come out with one statement, and you're blowing me out of fucking water. Jesus, so, that's amazing. No, that's I'm amazing. just
0: taking your words, but like I think as people and as a human race, and as people who like, we need to be there for people more, and I think. Hundred What's going on, and like. You know, they, these are real stories that I want to put up and it's reality and we're, we're in the middle of a pandemic that's called the coronavirus but we're also facing another pandemic and have been for years and that's mental illness, mental health. So in order to start making a change we need to start being that change and we need to kind of start I suppose listening more and being there. I own.
1: would literally, I'll deal with fuck it, you can't say this at home, I'm on my knees at the moment, praise it, praise <laughs> it here. Because I tell you what, Kira, I go into these skills and I say, look, guys, I'm not popular for saying this, but again, I couldn't give a fuck. I'm on the radio saying this all the time. I'm sorry for any politician that might be listening, but the mental health care system in this country is fucking useless. And it's not useless, sorry. When, when When you can avail of it, it's amazing. But availing of it is quite a fucking difficult task. And I do say to these kids, I know you're reaching out. And God love Pierre House and all these amazing organisations. They're so inundated that they're like, they're giving, well, they'll be with you in six months. Six fucking months. Fucking kid wants to die now. Mm-hmm. So what I'm saying, what you say, in maybe a more aggressive and forceful way, It's like, let's start helping our fucking selves. Yeah. Let's start being there for each other. Let's start fucking pulling together here. I think one of the big things that one, one of the biggest achievements I feel that I've done is I I talk in a lot of a lot of skills where there's a lot of lads in it, you know what I mean, a lot of blokes sitting there, like, you know, like looking all fucking macho and all. And I bore through them. I'm like, give it over. You, you, you look and sound stupid. And it's it's a wonderful conversation we have. And I try to say to them like, you know you can be mad sexy by being like by crying. You know you can be mad cool by being there for your mates or by turning around to a bunch of blokes and saying, I love my ma, she's amazing. And fuck them if they laugh at you. Um, I just feel like, to to say what you say, there's reasons why we have these amazing, amazing organisations like Cycle Against Suicide because it brings together people like you, Kira, and people like yourself to get up there and share our pain, turn our pain into power, as I I didn't come up with that, that's a wonderful lady from, from Galway, Young Maggie. Uh, she she gave me that idea of turning your pain into power, which is powerful when you think about it.
0: Like turn your mess yeah. into your message.
1: Oh wow. Well. Oh, I'm,
0: I'm, <laughs> I'm
1: writing a book at the moment. So if you see that in my book,
0: yeah um, I'll see you for
1: copyright. Copyright <laughs> um, But yeah, it's 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 so true. I think that uh, you know, for from for me sharing my story now, uh and sharing it in, in a kind of a uh, as, as honest and broad a way as I can I'm hoping that anyone that's listening will, will, will kind of will say you know if they, if they feel that maybe they've, they've wronged others in the past or if they feel that they've been wronged themselves if they feel like they're in that kind of a, uh, there's a, a really sad Alice in Chains song where Lane Staley who's not with us anymore sings about being down in a hole and I don't know if we, and I don't know if we can fit in and I don't know if we can escape and it's that down in a hole to me has always been kind of very symbolic it's it's. I know I was in that hole and I'm sure the sad thing is probably everyone listening to this podcast yeah, has yeah. either been there or is currently there. Um, if you've been there I hope my little story long story <laughs> helps you in some way but if you're currently there press pause on the podcast rewind a little bit and go to the bit where Kira says about the paper and being being the page for somebody and if you if you think well look I'm the one that's in in need here, go look for your page. The thing about it is, some people don't, oh yeah, I'm always saying like, reach out, talk, talk, talk. And you, get, you do get this, all I've known to talk to, and then, well, you can fuck talk to me, so that's, that's bollocks. But then there's just the people that just don't feel comfortable talking. But the great thing is, as we just spoke about, a great way to start then is to grab that pen and paper and let that paper listen to you and, and, and tell it everything. Tell it everything. And that might encourage you then to, even if you picked up the page and you walked up to your mom, or your dad or your lover or your whatever the fuck it is in your life and you say, look, I've wrote this down. This is how I feel. Do you want to read it? Or maybe I'll read it to you. Um, I do think that we're going to, we're going to need a load of fucking ninjas for these next couple of years as we come to terms with what has, what has been, what has been a pandemic, a worldwide pandemic. What you're, when you're, you being told to stay away from the people you love. When you're being, you hearing about new normals and shit like this. So I know until I, while I have a breath in my body, my main focus, I, I I'm there for humans on a level that I, I'll treat you the way I want to be treated. I've no problem asking for help. Care, I'd come to you if I was fucked, and I wouldn't think, I wouldn't do your thinking for you. Actually, that's something I really want to say. This is aimed at any students that might be listening to this. But you know what? This is aimed at your ma's and da's as well stop down people's fucking thinking for them. It's one thing that really bugs me, um, and I have to be forceful about this, so let me explain it to you. When I wrote No One Understands, in in I Am Enough, um, about Grania. I really tried to show both sides of that. So Grania has made up her mind that her entire family, who we all know adore her, she has decided that her ma and dad wouldn't understand. She never asked them. She never tried them. She just made up her mind. She made, she did their thinking for them. And as a result, she became, she came so close to ending her life because she told herself without asking that her mom, her dad, her brothers, her sisters, or whoever's in her life. It doesn't have to be her mom and dad sometimes, the adult in your life, just an adult in her life. No, they won't understand. I'm begging anybody that's listening to this podcast to never, ever, ever do that. Try the person. If they don't understand that, you tell them, fuck them, but try them. Don't do people's thinking for them, especially when you're sad and lonely. Uh, I know it's difficult. I'm I'm actually on this podcast now saying you can find me on any social media on money on Facebook and Instagram and I'll always listen to you. If you need someone to talk to, I'm not a fucking train anything. I just have a big old set of ears on me. But
0: well, I, I think I think that could be the worry too, like that some people um uh, to be the listener, to be the paper, to be the page we feel like we have to have all the answers and we feel like we need to know exactly exactly how to help. And that actually might put us off from helping, but in reality, all we have to fucking do is listen and be that... Is be the
1: paper, is be the page. And it's incredible, like, even now, this morning, with your beautiful self and me talking through this... I had a bit of a shit day yesterday. I had a great day yesterday. I got to spend the day with my mum. It brought up a lot of feelings in me. Then I was trying to help another ninja who... Is very hard on herself, mm. and I kind of got very emotional. I ended up having a bit of shitty time. Uh, but I had this to look forward to this morning. <laughs> By the way, right? Um, I was kind of wondering whether or not uh, this is going to be like a zoom or video or th- So I'm currently wearing, need I'm even I even splashed myself a fucking aftershave. I can
0: smell you all the way,
1: way and I've got half a fucking tub of wax to try and control. What and is, you're in your
0: underpants, I don't even know everybody's truth.
1: <laughs> I'm talking about, okay, my story, you can say, I tell it all the time. It doesn't get any easier to tell the first part of my story when you have to admit to people that you're a dickhead uh, or wear a dickhead, I should say. Um, But even just now, and I'm not just saying this to fit into the fucking kind of context of what we're saying. This has really helped me this morning Mm. because I've got someone listening to me. I have a page in front of me. The page is Kerry and I knew guys that are listening and I'm opening up my heart. It's vulnerable. I feel. I, you can't help but think. God, who's going to listen to this? Is there people who don't like me that are going to listen to this? I don't give a fuck. If you don't like me, you don't like me. That's 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 okay. That's all right. I'll, I'll get over it. Don't worry about it. Um. But I, it's it you, to make yourself vulnerable and put yourself out there, regardless of whether you're a ninja like myself or Kira that gets on stages and tells a story. It's fucking hard sometimes, yeah. and it's difficult. And for. I know you will do it, Kerry, and I will do it till We have oxygen or we have oxygen in our lungs because if we can help even just one fucking person, then that's what it's about. Yeah. You know? Okay. Um, I'm
0: gonna
1: end that there because like No, 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 I need to do one thing I before we go. Go on,
0: do it. No, I okay. was just, like that was so
1: powerful, but go on, okay. do it. So this morning I put up a post about my mum and about spending time with her through the quarantine and we went to Blanchown shopping centre yesterday and this new normal. And I started looking, look and I really started feeling what we've been talking about here, which is mm. there's going to be, the government need to cop onto this. There's going to be, we're, what's already really bad, which is the state of mental health in this country is about to get a lot fucking worse. And I have some amazing people. So actually, everyone who follows me on Facebook is just fucking outstanding. But I wrote a little poem for them, but I wrote it for you, Kira. I wrote it for every single person that's listening to this podcast. So if it's kill cool with you, I'd like to end the podcast okay. with that. Let's do it, yeah.
0: This
1: is called uh, This Is For You. Now, I'm not a fucking poet. I'm a, a guy from Dublin that uses colloquialisms and, 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 and I'm, I'm phonetically from Dublin, so fuck it. Let's rock this. So this is called This Is For You. It seems like a lifetime ago when Leo broke the news. Our country was going to lockdown. This shock left us days and confused. Since then, we've done all we can to show unity, emotion and heart. We bought into coming together simply by staying apart. But it hasn't been plain sailing. I'm sure there were days when you'd think, I can't take much more of this, as your heart began to sink. But look at how far you have come, look at how strong you actually are. Take a second and think what you've achieved, then try to tell me you're not a star. Those of you who are parents, you inherited a brand new role. You became your children's teachers, and I'm sure that took its toll but you knocked it out of the park. So the one thing I hope you all do is let these words sink in and be really proud of you. Some of you are students told to stay away from your friends. I'm sure this was hard for you guys and it drove you around the bend. But you students have shown a nation just what you can do. You've survived the worldwide, world worldwide crisis and I'm really proud of you. Some of you are heroes. You spent this pandemic on the front line. Your strength, courage and character has quite simply blown my mind. Thank you.
0: Amazing.
1: Then there are those of us who simply get our arse out of bed every day. And this too makes you a hero in a very unique kind of way. Because being hard on ourselves is such an easy fucking thing to do. We put ourselves down and give give ourselves shit instead of saying, I'm proud of you. So maybe today take a second to admire how far you have come. You're surviving in a fucking pandemic. You are truly second to none. Sometimes the days will be shitty. The old kids might do your head in. Wanting to scream makes you human, and it's not a cardinal sin. Be proud of how far. Be proud of what you've done so far. See how far you have come. You are the master of your universe. You're simply the best parent none. And one thing to never lose sight of: if you are feeling low, reach out for ask. Reach out and ask for help. Don't let those feelings grow. I'll always be here to listen. And, and I will always be here to listen if that's what you need. We can help each other to pause, reflect and breathe. So today I encourage you to feel proud of who you are. You are truly remarkable. You're a beautiful, shining star. There you go. Amazing.
0: That's,
1: the poem, that's the poem for you. Thank you. Just for you. Fuck everyone else. Just for you
0: here. <laughs> um... Gary, thank you so much for for that um, and for being vulnerable and for being honest and for sharing your story and just inspiring as always. Thank
1: you so much, Kira, for the opportunity. Um, Sorry, couldn't talk there. Thank you so much for the opportunity to speak, um, to be part of our podcast. It's absolutely amazing. And again, just to say what you do, Kira, yourself, even through your photography, through everything, it's so moving, it's so relevant if you're not following this girl, get off your arse and follow her. Um, and just thank you for, for sharing this morning with me. You've really, really started my day off on a fucking high today. So thank you so much.
0: Amazing. Thank you for your life. Thank you for you. And we'll we'll see you soon.
1: Take care, Kira. Bye-bye. Peace.
0: I mean, um, how do you find the words to to just say thank you to Gary for his honesty and for his courage in sharing that story? Um, Gary, thank you so much for having so much courage and heart to, to just speak your truth. And I have no doubt that it is going to inspire so many people. If you enjoyed this podcast episode, show some love, show some support. And if you feel like the world needs to hear it, share it wide and share it far. And in particular, if there's anybody that you think that could do with listening to this episode, just send them the link. And I think we can all take away the home that message that as human beings, we need to, to be the page for other people, um, to be that listening ear, to be that, I suppose, support and encouragement, um, to be that person who shows up. The world needs more people who show up for others. So, As a community, let's come together and be that person for each other. Thank you.